From olive colored skin, from olive colored skin to chocolate brown, lipsticks and lip gloss should be color rich, long lasting, bold and luscious. Bold and luscious cosmetics. Find them at balcosmetics.com. Complete with vitamin E, lanolin, and antioxidants. Bold and luscious gives you soft, moisturized lips all day. Reds, nudes, pinks, darks, bright. Balcosmetics.com. Balcosmetics.com. What's up, world? It's your homegirl Ivy. Make sure you check out Just Blaze Organic Hemp Paper. They are a very fine, slow-burning type of paper. For my 420 smokers that love to keep it organic, this is the product for you. The gum tip lining doesn't require much liquid to seal your joint and or cigarette, and their cones are, oh my God. Make sure you try them. All I have to say, follow Just Blaze Organic and tell them Katie K sent you. Respect!
guardi. Sarabam vibri, tu estás mala vibra, deja tu no tibri, haz blosa, eso no como tiribri, dime a ver que lo guá, que lo wigri, tigri, sarabam vibri, tu estás mala vibra, deja tu no tibri, dime a ver mami que lo guá, que lo wigri, tryna smash, yo no estoy en cotoribri, tigri, sarabam vibri, tigri, sarabam vibri, tigri, sarabam vibri, always on time, con una nota alta, tigri, sarabam vibri, tigri, sarabam vibri, tigri, sarabam vibri, The smooth is high, nigga. We still made it happen, nigga. Niggas gotta go eat donuts, nigga. We chillin', nigga. We lit. It's not even a question. Riding through the X, going a truta que yo mangue crescent. Blue chat, hold on, wait a second. Hit the song after that, we started sexing. Yup. Tigri, sarabam vibri. Tú tamas la vibra, deja tu no tibri. Has blood shot, eso no como tiribri. Dime a ver que lo va, que lo wigri. Tigri, sarabam vibri. Tú tamas la vibra, deja tu no tibri. Dime a ver, mami, que lo va, que lo wigri. Tryna smash, yo no estoy en cotoribri. Tigri, sarabam vibri. Tigri, sarabam vibri. Tigri, sarabam vibri. Always on time, con una nota alta. Tigri, sarabam vibri. Tigri, sarabam vibri. Tigri, sarabam vibri. Always on time, con una nota alta. Jiggity, Sarabam, Bibbidi Ay, coja los Kibbidi Que yo mangué por ahí, Bibbidi Kamibbidi Tú te pasibbidi Que los Kibbidi Take you up. Before we have to 
Nocturna. Soy guerrero, vengo de la jungla Donde la boca tuya te puede mandar una tumba El dinero multiplico, se divide cuando suma La bala te trapasan, te pone a bailar cumbia José odio y noche porque eso como un deporte Con todo el sur entero, pero yo vengo del norte No me cabe más, sello adentro de mi pasaporte Y yo vengo de la vieja, me importa de nuevo norte en blue 
Con una Kim Kardashian Con el cuerpo de Jack y el culo de Sensenchana Le doy un paseíto adentro y ya de la Habana Le pongo mi collar, el limón verde, la bandana No ese dinero, cadena, brilla, se me lubre el cuello Me acuerdo menorcito que lo brilla en mi sueño Ahora camino con jefe, omega, yo soy el dueño El que venga con falacia en su música lo le prendo importancia, pincho falso, mantengo distancia No acepto vagamundería de ninguna circunstancia Traficando los papos, sí, acción de gracia El se mueven sola, tengo recetas de no tienen un bote Y hablando de que, que son los bichotes no me pongo camisa si no viene de Dolce Tengo los tigres para, soy su nuevo sofoque Estamos ratando tigres como pibuen a los foques Subiendo rango, dando la para en mi city Lo pero caro en mi DM y hablan de mí En el banco tengo su sueldo, tobilla a mí Con las torres, uno en la línea, todo contra mí para en mi city, yeah, lo pero caro en mi DM y hablan de mí, yeah. en el banco tengo su sueldo, tobilla a mí, yeah. ese torre, uno en la línea, todo contra mí, yeah. Step in the spot, bring a whole cloud. Them say you gotta pay the play, I'm like how? And I'm too late, I can't walk through the crowd. Rolling up sticky, tugs them with me. And I know she riding with us if she picky. Don't get silly, these gal them tricky. She a busybody, even though her face pretty. Estamos en el club y yo estoy desacatado. Cualquiera que se pase, yo lo tengo en mi lado. Smoking too much loud, this shit got me on a cloud. Ya le gusta agresivo, ya le gusta el papao. I give it down, Julio, that shit make a bend down. Estamos prendidos, baby, que no se te olvide. Con ese culazo, cualquiera vaya que sigue. Pásale la juca, te doy lo que tú pides. En la discoteca, estamos fumando. Agarra la botella que yo voy a coger los aires, pa' arriba, pa' abajo. Son mujeres mías, no te pones guapo. En el bolsillo mío, si yo tengo cuarto. Agárrate un vaso pa' arriba, pa' abajo, pa' siento, pa' dentro, pa' siento, pa' dentro, pa' arriba, pa' abajo. Bust it open like a B-Day. Run, punch, slap, show your titties on the freeway. I'ma L off off the yacht, ain't no delay. You fuck me for an hour, I'll bring it back to BK. Fresh up out the shower, she gon' treat me like Enrique. Follow IG, you can see too many seagulls. Hey, your ex is soft like Mongol. Rokey, don't eat no fool. What the fuck he gon' do? Velvety blue, I pour in the pool. Champagne showers, I pour all on you. Slide in the coupe, I got it for two. I wake up with bitches, I don't got a clue. En la discoteca, estamos fumando. Agarra la botella que yo voy a coger los aires pa' arriba, pa' abajo. Son mujeres mías, no te pones guapo. En el bolsillo mío, si yo tengo cuarto. Agárrate un vaso pa' arriba, pa' abajo. Pa' siento, pa' dentro, pa' siento, pa' dentro, pa' arriba, pa' abajo.
number, not no rainbow, huh? You hit my line, drop of a dime, came through flying, that's every time. I don't play about mine. That's on my mom. If you ever left, I die certain death. Oh, me need work with every breath. I swear I love your sex. Yes. Told me, homie, said he want you back, but it's your rep. I thought you told him you would crack. Girl, don't make me hurt your ex. Live from the 215, my baby girl smile, brighten up the light of the sky. And every time I feel down, she come around and pick my spirit up high. Sometimes I just stare in her eyes, thinking there is a guy. Esta atracción pertenece en el manicomio Por ti sabes que desafío al demonio Sin ti mi primavera se vuelve en otoño Y por eso tienes que entender Que soy tu lobo y tu miroba Que yo te voy a comer a toa Que esta noche no se acabe, no Y por eso tienes que entender Que soy tu lobo y tu miroba Que yo te voy a comer a toa Que esta noche no se acabe, no Like J-Lo, whenever she dances I love a Puerto Rican princess Like Jocelyn Hernandez Give me Zoe Saldana and Rosie in a blender Mix them together, it's a star I think I'll call her Brenda Trust it, I'm about to holler at Carmen Luvana After that I'm bagging Victoria Justice Yeah, it started out as a leaf Then it became a stream flowing out Rosario Dawson's Creek Off the way we think the cinema Movies, sipping Mondas, whether it's Goya or India I love a mommy on fire, mine is the lighter So I'm out to Exotica for a rider Sheena, who's thick and fly like Justina Machado, see me? I need me an AOC Chula Solamente quiero que sepas que tú eres una reina como quiera No me importa de dónde vengas Porque todos los días yo te digo que eres una diosa, diosa That is what I call you Diosa, diosa, there's no one above you And I just want the people to see what I mean So I put you on a pedestal so everyone can see the current guy She got a body, yaddy, 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 yaddy Puerto Rican thick mommy from the Bronx So oh, Johnny I'm just kicking game to Erica Mena Even if I have to sin with Dominicans All I need is Una Whether it's Dasha Polanco or Cat de Luna Mira Flipping through Max and Mag I saw a Puerto Rican goddess named Jasmine Loren It might sound foul, but if I trump that Shooting my shot, I don't need no paper towels Jasmine said, ready, hold it down But Puerto Ricans all around, time to switch your sound I'm in the class, name with the rest Bodega Bams, Nicky Jam, now I'm name with the best 
yeah. Why don't you get a Puerto Rican to the arena, Puerto Rican left, right? Solamente quiero que sepas que tú eres una reina como quieras. No me importa de dónde vengas, porque todos los días yo te digo que eres una diosa, diosa, eres what I call you. Que me comentan mucho por el Instagram Que mi boca y mi cuerpo me lo comerán Que lo tengo en la frente, muchos pensarán Pero esta mami chula no le llegará Aunque sea mala, aunque sea fría Aunque me vaya y regrese al otro día Aunque sea mala, aunque sea fría Aunque me vaya y regrese al otro día Te gustó, te gustó Tú sabes, con las jaques. Gerald, la melodía produciendo. Vimenca el lirical. 
área 809. El maestro Rudy Ruiz. Julio Abreu. Emilio, él te lo contacto. Tú sabes. I'm George Torres, the Urban Hero, and you're tuned in to the Rar Zone. From olive colored skin to chocolate brown, lipsticks and lip gloss should be color rich, long lasting, bold and luscious. Bold and luscious cosmetics. Find them at balcosmetics.com. Complete with vitamin E, lanolin, and antioxidants. Bold and luscious gives you soft, moisturized lips all day. Reds, nudes, pinks, darks, bright. Balcosmetics.com. Balcosmetics.com. A snap, we're back. This is Welcome to the Rhythm. I am your host, Ivy, Katie, whatever moniker you call me by. I thank you for being here. Whew. 
It is, once again, a beautiful Raw Zone day. You can catch us everywhere, www.rawzonenyc.com. Of course, you could catch us at our home of Elgin Sound Radio, Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You could catch us in Ohio on Pulso 82.3 FM every Wednesday, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Shout out to Promo God. She's also she syndicates our show to 130 different countries. I've only been to like one, but it's okay. I'm gonna go to the other 129 one time one day soon. But um, shout out to them, artists. You know, if you want to have your music spun and be able to actually get paid royalties for it, ask her how that's possible if you're not. But of course, hit her up for her knowledge and her packages today. Um, and of course, we in Michigan on damn it, computer. We are in Michigan, Sunday, 6 to 8 p.m. on Platinum Radio Online. Shout out to Bruce and the entire team. Whew. So, of course, you can catch us on with SmackDown on SmackDown, courtesy of Ramble Mania Show, while myself and TJ the Great, the 13-time Ramble Mania World Heavyweight Champion, break down the good, the bad, the ugly. We already saw how The Rock came back and whoop Austin Theory's ass, but he's going to one day do it again for Roman Reigns at Mania 40. Let's see what happens when this week's episode drops on YouTube. Whew. We are on the road to the give back for Sean. We finally secured our date and our location. You can catch us in Astoria, Queens, giving back to the Sarcoma Foundation of America at Catch Astoria. The lineup and the performances will be dropped within the next couple of days. We do want to thank everyone that's involved so far. Uh, DJ Ace of Spades, um, Chris, uh, Krista B from Hot 97. Uh, more detail they're going to drop soon. Um, but like we say, we always try to find more awareness for sarcoma because of, Sh- of Sean Seguid, who passed away from intimal sarcoma at the age of 30. Uh, he was advocating for the last year and a half of his life, and we've been trying to do our best to keep his memory alive through philanthropic efforts and working with the Sarcoma Foundation of America. But I'm running out of breath right now to do all these goddamn intros and sponsorings. But um, so today's interview is special. We are in Hispanic Heritage Month, and I would be remiss if I didn't uh, pay homage to people that helped pave my career and they've been such prominent figures in the industry cultivating um latin culture and make and integrating it um in many different ways through different avenues um this person i met when i had to have been 21 years old and i had to ask um someone i met named jasmine clemente beautiful singer artist um with a heart of gold if I could act as her photographer for her publication because I wanted to go to this gentleman's event. And mind you, I'm scared shitless of scary movies, but I still wanted to go because they had the Annabelle doll. Um, and it was an event po- put specifically through his um, marketing efforts and with Warner Brothers. So I started out with the photographer and I'm probably just outing myself years later, but it's okay because he's come to love me for the goofball that I am anyways. Um, but a little bit about this person, uh, George, the urban Hibato Torres, and I'm just going to take this from his 
um, Talento Unlimited bio because it actually just describes him to a T, uh, or at least in 30 seconds or less. Um, George is an award-winning bilingual social media and cultural consultant who in the late 90s captured the attention on the internet with his personal mission statement of connecting Latinos to their culture. Having been raised alternatively between New York and Puerto Rico, he is a living embodiment of the New Yorican experience, earning him the name Urban Hibaro, catching, creating context for brands from finance to grooming. I now welcome the man, the myth, the legend, coming from Brooklyn, Mr. Kapiku himself, George Torres. What's up? Yo, I'm still really mad that it took you two seconds to make that background. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I'm using my other laptop, and I just realized I didn't have it set up for StreamYard, so I just jumped on Discord real quick. I'm, uh, what is it? Um, Midjourney. And uh, just created a podcast studio real quick. You got the nice coloring and everything. Me, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to match the aesthetic of the raw zone. I was actually so surprised because I just honestly made this makeshift one because I have my dog sleeping in the other room. Um, and if I decided to podcast in there, he's going to try to be all up in my my space. Got but, it, got it. Yeah. But how you been? It's been I'm a good. long time since I saw you. I'm good. And, and uh, first of all, thank you for having me in the Raw Zone. I'm excited about reaching so many more people that normally see, don't get a chance to interact with me. Um, but uh, it's funny that you mentioned the Annabelle event because something really interesting happened two days ago. What? Two days ago? Yesterday. Yesterday, two days ago on Friday. Um, I was with Tony Plana. Tony Plana played the priest in Annabelle. Yeah. And he was present at that event. Yeah. And I attended a Latino luncheon at the Metropolitan uh, Club here in New York. And uh, Tony Plano was sitting right next to me in the next table. And he gave me a big hug and was like, wow, I haven't seen you in a long time. And now I just really realized that it was nine years ago to almost to the day. I know. It was actually, it was actually last, like Thursday would have been exactly nine years since that event. That's really crazy to think of how much time has passed. And then I saw him on like other shows, like he was on like an episode of um, Law and Order Organized Crime, and he did amazing in that. Yeah, uh, yeah. But to see, you know, and it's still weird to be like, you know, you were part of that at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that particular project came from a friend of mine, Isaac Cuevas, who worked for a film house in LA that specifically worked with spiritual movies. Um, so that wasn't just a regular screening. It wasn't just a regular event. What we did was we we had a couple of events that led up to the, to the actual screening. And one of the events was having a panel of spiritual healers and other spiritual, like priest, a rabbi, a bruja. And we had all these people have a intelligent conversation about the existence of evil. And uh, for that particular event, my friend Mia Roman actually created an altar, uh, a Cuban altar, uh, Cuban, Puerto Rican, Caribbean. Uh, she created an altar for authenticity in the event. So it was just, it was a really dope event. It was one of the, the highlights of my career, actually, um, you know, to work with Warner Brothers on such a big project was pretty amazing. So to go back on that, because you were talking about the altar, there was someone doing something with eggs. 
Well, yeah, so 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 that was somebody that we hired. Um, they came from Cuba, from Havana, and they were uh, a spiritual uh, uh, santero. Was it a santero? I want to say it was a santero, but you know, I may I may be slightly wrong. There's a lot of different branches of the spiritual realm in the Caribbean, uh, but this was somebody who worked with uh, santeria or palo or something of that nature. Um, so yeah, so they they actually did demonstrations. They talked a little bit about the altar. It was a it was a very multi-dimensional event, um, specifically, um, and we, we got a chance to work with them on multiple projects. The one that you came to was it the Annabelle one or was it the Conjuring? It was the Annabelle one because Edwin was there, Cynthia was there, uh, Mia yes. was there. That's so funny. Yes, 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 yes. That's when I had my radio show back in the days. Awesome. Yeah, it was it was a good time, but it was nine years ago. Uh, because specifically, like I said, I was working with Tony Plana because uh, he was the the star of that particular. So it was cool. It was a cool event. So for those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, I uh, my name is George Torres. Um, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And uh, one of the things about me is that I, I'm very passionate about Latino culture. And I really hated the fact that our stories weren't fully documented in the media, in film, in books, uh, in curriculum. Uh, so I created a website in 1997 called sofritoforyoursoul.com. And it was my way of actually creating something collaborative where people could actually join in and uh, and share their stories, share their stories, their recipes, their poetry, etc. I'm very big on, on cultural cultivation, so uh, and community building around the arts. So that's that's what um that's what I did with with Sofrito for the most part. So um, being that you you look to create a bridge for Latinos and their culture, and especially in New York City, um, what was it like growing up? in the 80s and the 90s where one you were going from living in puerto rico to living in the united states as well as like um the way they treated minorities back in the 80s 90s was definitely different so how um how has the dif how is the differences that you've seen different to uh for the treatment of latinos different from then and now so to be fair I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn in the 80s. Um, it was a very racial, racially charged time. Um, as a matter of fact, the reason why I even have a website is because I myself was a victim of a racial incident that happened in 1986. Um, that incident, the name of the incident is the Latino Howard Beach incident. The Latino Howard Beach incident was what they called it on the news. But the reason why they called it the Latino Howard Beach incident was because the same night, not very far from where we were attacked, me and my Dominican friend, Rafael Gonzalez, not far from where we were attacked, um, uh, a young black man named Michael Griffith lost his life. Uh, he was chased by an angry white mob that was beating him up for no other reason other than the fact that he was black. And he ran into traffic on Cross Bay Boulevard and died quickly after that. Um, so because these two incidents happened so closely, we ended up in the same hospital. The cops thought it was the same incident or the same people. It wasn't. There were a lot of racial racists at the time wandering the streets of New York and Queens specifically. Um, 
so the news just kind of coined it the Latino Howard Beach incident, but ours happened in Ozone Park, actually. It was a couple of, like a mile or two away. Um, and, and yeah, so that that's, you know, that incident actually changed my life because I grew up in a place where black and brown were very tight. I'm obviously white passing, so I have blue eyes. I don't even look like I'm Latino, but because of the way we were dressed, we were targeted because if you looked at the way we were dressed, you could quickly tell that we were not from that neighborhood. Um, it was it was a very interesting situation, but as a result of the the aftermath of it, I ended up connecting with some really cool community folks that actually came to assist us in getting justice. And as a result of that, I got mentored by some of the greatest civil rights movement uh, minds in our community, uh, including people including people from the Black Panthers and um, and the Young Lords. Al Sharpton was, was our representation in the beginning, um, but because there was an imbalance of media coverage towards the Latino aspect of it, um, we, ended up, uh, we ended up moving on to another team of people, the people from the National Congress of Puerto Rican Rights took our case shortly after. And it was just because it was just, there was an invisibility thing. It was like, you know, obviously, Michael Griffith was killed and, and we, you know, we needed to support him in getting justice in that way, but there was still another story that needed to be told. And we felt that uh, the national Congress would be the, the right organization to help us, you know, voice that side of the story. Yeah. How do you feel like we've progressed from that, those times? I, I don't, we, we definitely have progressed, but I think we progressed because there's a lot more, there's a lot more of our stories being told. You know, there's not many and there's not, definitely not um, commensurate with the amount of people that exist that of Latino uh, descent in the country. Um, but we do have some more prominence. There are uh, many organizations that have completely dedicated themselves to telling our stories and making sure that we get credit for the things that we brought to this country. Um, a country that, you know, technically is half Latino anyway. Uh, by default, by, by moving borders. Um, so I think that it's different. Um, are there still a lot of issues? Yes, there's, there's a lot of issues politically. There's, you know, we're dealing with systematic racism in a lot of ways. So those systems haven't yet been completely dismantled, but uh, our culture is a lot more accepted across the board. Obviously pop culture and media and of uh, their films that are coming out that are not being coined as Latino films per se, but they're stories. They're, in some cases, great American dream stories uh, of our perspective of what the American dream could have been for us. Uh, so so it's, it's, it's shifting. It's shifting. I think that we're in the middle of a, of a, of a great shift right now. So before we get, in, get into you being part of that big shift, because you've done a lot, um, what was it like, you know, you talked about being in East New York and how that affected you, but how did how different was it being able to live both in Puerto Rico and the United States? Like so much differences in between. Yeah, it was it was different. My my dad and my mom split, so I spent a lot of time kind of traveling back and forth. Two different worlds, one hundred percent. You know, in Puerto Rico, I lived in a middle class neighborhood. I went to a Catholic public school. Um, not a lot of street activity, not a lot of like, you know, gang violence, none of that stuff really uh, in Puerto Rico. 
Um, but back in Brooklyn, it was a whole different story. So uh, in some cases, I would come back to Puerto Rico and tell people stories from what stuff that happened to me in Brooklyn, and they just didn't even believe it. It sounded like a movie to them um, because they didn't have that experience, and it was completely different. What I liked about my experience in Puerto Rico was I have a deep working knowledge of, one, what it feels like to be part of Puerto Rico, and Puerto Rico has its own systematic racism uh, of, of, from the US government towards Puerto Rico and their policies. Um, but I got a, a deep understanding of the culture. I have a deep understanding of the political history of Puerto Rico. Um, so now when I advocate, I advocate from a position of, I'm not just your average New Yorican. Yes, I'm a New Yorican. I was born in Brooklyn and raised in, in Puerto Rico, but I was raised in Puerto Rico. So I do understand a lot of that position as well. Whereas some people that I know from New York that were born and raised in New York don't have that perspective. So I feel like that was a big plus for me. What do you feel like either? No, so if I were the Puerto Rican from New York, what would my perception be of Puerto Rico if I haven't been there? Uh, exactly what my name is. I'm an urban hero, right? I'm an urban hero because I'm a juxtaposition of, of two different worlds, right? urban being from new york and being streetwise and whatever and hibaro because um the word hibaro actually used to be intended as kind of like disrespect it used to be like you're a hick like you're somebody from the sticks like you're a farmer um and for me understanding the history of puerto rico and understanding the position of the hibaro within our historic in our historical canon i uh i honor that and I felt like there's something that I wanted to take on. It was something that one of my mentors, Richie Perez from the Young Lords, uh, he's something that he used to call me. He called me an urban hero. He's like, you're the best of both worlds. And I've kind of embraced that. So instead of actually taking it as a diss, uh, I actually embraced it and then kind of redefined what a hero is. And if you look today, if you look in a lot of the cultural circles of people who are doing things in the Puerto Rican community, the hero is actually a source of pride. I would like to I would like to think that I was one of the first people to really kind of push it in that direction. I think you are the the first person to really push all of that and because you made what could be one of the first blogs in 1997 when yeah. once again not talking to age but that's when the first, the internet really just came out. Roadrunner dial up, you know, everything was innovating and you're already here pretty much doing what I'm doing now and you're bringing a whole group of people who don't know their culture um, to become more rooted within it and to embrace it in a society and in a time where being one being a minority was not really welcomed um, going back to you know the daily sofrito what was the biggest challenge for you while doing all of that? Uh, the biggest challenge, uh, hands down, was the technology. Because everything that you're able to do today used to cost a lot of money and you had to have access, right? I started the website because I took an HTML class in college at SUNY College at Old Westbury. And I had access to resources that most people, as a matter of fact, when the blog started, most people didn't even have a computer. Most people couldn't use a computer unless they went to a cafe and rented one or went to Kinko's uh, and rented one. 
So, so there was no access. So the people who actually followed us in the very beginning were either college students or, or there were professionals that had access to the internet at their job because computers were still in the five, six, $7,000 range. So it wasn't easy to be online at the time. And, uh, and yeah, so, so coding was a big thing. Uh, I remember uh, a good friend of mine, Dora Abreu, uh, used her and I used to share. She was a coder. She, you know, she's somebody who works in IT today, and she used to, me and her used to email code back to just get little things to work on the website, just like have a logo that flipped around, or or to have a scrolling uh, a guest book or anything like that. We used to have to like really find people that either made the code already and then copy it and just edit it for our purposes, or we had like big exchanges. But Dora was the one that helped me write a lot of the code for the first website. There was no, Photoshop was really out of like, Photoshop. I didn't start using Photoshop probably until like third year uh, doing the website. So we didn't have access to graphic tools. So we had to either steal graphics, edit graphics or uh, hand draw them and digitize them. It was just really tough. It was really tough at the time to create. The website was completely hand coded. So everything the way the website looked and everything was a pure HTML. There was no Dreamweaver or any applications that could actually draw the code for us. Um, so that was that was the biggest challenge was the the technology and and I'm I'm always in amazement of how much uh, things have changed. Where you know I could I could have done what I did on the internet with twenty thirty thousand dollars worth of equipment I could do today on my cell phone with little or no effort at all. Even you having the podcast. I mean, everything that you use for your podcast used to cost in excess of $150,000. You couldn't create a studio in your home for less than $150,000. So technology, technology is, uh, was the biggest obstacle. And it was also the biggest win because despite all of that, we made it through. When I started the website, a lot of people don't know this, but we had a lot of firsts. We were uh, one of the first Latino websites to have their own email, branded email. So if you were one of my viewers, my one of my uh, subscribers, you can come in there and you would actually have like the raw zone at com email. And we provided that completely for free based on advertising. We also had, um, we partnered with a company called Bright House really early in the 2000s. And we syndicated one of the first music TV channels on the internet it was called Barrio 305. And it was an experiment. It was an experiment and it played all the reggaeton videos, all the playero videos back in the days. Uh, but one of the things that it did eventually was Brightco became this really, really big technology company. Like it wasn't because of the programming that they made it big. They made it big because they figured out how to get video across most devices. Um, so they became a huge company. Bajra 305 died after that. But but I remember that it was that Latino project that made Brightcove millions of dollars like just because they figured out how to create video or how, how to trans, transmit video on a really old Windows device. Um, then uh, there's a website called Lat latinflavor.com. Latinflavor.com was like the first YouTube. Like, you know, like all these websites that were coming up after me, like they were all doing things that they were doing new things that eventually some other company ended up becoming really big doing. And doing it. Latinflavor.com was like before any of the um, 
what's her name? Little Judy and uh, uh, LaMusica.com. LaMusica.com was a website that competed with me in a sense of like putting out Latino content and music and all that kind of stuff, talking about music. But one of the things that La Musica did really well was they had the right editors, they had the right writers, they had the right video when video was available. And they eventually uh, sold the website to one of the biggest radio station conglomerates in the country. And today it still exists. LaMusica.com is still a website. Um, and Little Judy was one of the first people to exit uh, meaning exit her, her business uh, with a multi-million dollar deal. The only thing about Little Judy was that Little Judy wasn't Latina. She was Italian. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So she, but but she is uh, well-respected in Latino circles. Everything she did was from the heart. And she, in my eyes, she's an icon. She's somebody who I look up to immensely. Has it always been media for you or was there always something else you had in mind to do? No, you know what? Um, growing up, when you talk, I grew up during the time that hip hop was in its early stages, right? Um, I tried every single aspect of hip hop and where I landed was graffiti. I really loved graphics. I really loved design, art and design. Uh, so graffiti led me to designing stuff on the internet with photoshop and illustrator and then uh i started the website and then the website really put me in a different place because it they people considered me a cultural curator i had the people from the nassau uh, county uh, museum of art reach out to me and say hey you seem to have the attention of these people on the internet you know can you bring a busload of people to this event where we're gonna like display diego rivera and frida Kahlo paintings um so i when that started happening when people started looking at me more as a media personality uh, i started uh, understanding a little bit more about that role and, and i kind of like kind of liked it and eventually my business became a marketing business as opposed to just a website because of the fact that um other businesses and other websites were actually coming to me for redesigns. They were coming to me for me to, to make their website more colorful. Uh, some companies like mihinta.com called Community Connect was a company that had three different websites. They had a website called Mihente, which was Latino-based. They had Asian Avenue and they had Black Planet. Uh, Black Planet is still uh, around today. Black Planet is owned by Radio One, if, if I'm not mistaken. They were bought by a radio station as well. Uh, and, and this website was owned by Asians. All three of the websites were owned by Asians and uh, they were looking for Latino writers. So I became a bridge to find poets, writers, uh, other content creators to bring over to Mi Gente. And I even ghostwrited for Mi Gente for a little while. Uh, so I made a lot of money just uh, becoming a content creator uh, early, early, early in the game. I'm talking about 2001, 2002, I was already monetized. So it took four years in a time where there was nothing to build up to a monetizable uh, property. It's so amazing to watch, to have seen like some of, some of the like achievements you've done with so little, but you did something else and you gave back to the community. Um, you created a home for everyone um, that wasn't a hip hop artist, but they had their own type of Bars. They had their poetry. Um, I was very blessed to be able to take photos there. Um, but tell, because also when I did my research, you said Capicu was one of your greatest. 
yes. like achievements to date. So tell us more about Capicu and working with Papo. So Capicu is a 16-year-old at this point. It'll be 17 soon. It's a 16-year-old poetry project that was created to combat the gentrification that was happening in Bushwick, Brooklyn, um, or in Brooklyn in general, but we landed in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Uh, we had somebody reach out to my business partner who has been my business partner for now 17 years. Um, he, uh, me and him used to have conversations on mihenta.com and we used to talk about what it would look like if Latinos had a middle class. We talked about how to empower people in the community and some dude that used to be a hustler around, around the way, he had a little bar uh, out uh, in Bushwick and he reached, or Williamsburg actually, uh, and he reached out to us and he was like, hey, you guys wanna do something here. He gave us the space for free. And he said, do whatever you want as long as it brings people from the com our community to the space. Uh, so we started uh, Capicu Cultural Poetry Co Showcase was, was the original name. Now it's called Capicu Culture, but um, we started this poetry event the first night we had people that showed up early say, I don't even know why you guys are doing this because there's already a New Yorican and this has never been done in Brooklyn before. Nobody really wants this here. Like, I don't, you know, they were kind of like, kind of hating on us. We ended up with over 200 people in the, in the venue that night. Um, we even had camera crews. We had TV news. Like, it was a big deal. And we don't even know how it happened, but it happened. And... Uh, from that point on, we just we kept it we kept it pushing. Um, that particular bar wasn't the right venue for us at the time, so we ended up moving uh, a couple of blocks away uh, on Union Avenue, right off of Broadway. And uh, it's Bushwick slash Williamsburg, depends on who you ask. Uh, we ended up uh, at a bar called Notice Lounge, and uh, we stayed there for a good fourteen years. Um, the, the the club evolved multiple times during our tenure there. And the more time passed, the owner, Jason Tennant, uh, created a space for us to be able to thrive. He actually made a lot of changes to the venue in order to make it more palatable or to make it more accessible or more welcoming to our community. Um, eventually, it was no longer a club. Uh, he opened up a pizzeria in the front a craft pizza spot and made it a speakeasy. So you had to actually walk through a freezer to get into the back room uh, to, to do poetry and whatnot. And it was just a beautiful experience. Um, we did a, a Capicu subway series where we went from borough to borough. Uh, we did uh, award-winning workshops uh, and shows in different universities. Um, so Capicu was was a big deal. It was a big deal, it continues to be a big deal. And um, as, as we're talking right now, me and my partner, Papo, Juan Santiago, uh, we've been talking about how we're going to bring Capicu back, not only uh, within our community where we were uh, before, but also how we could um, kind of rekindle the virtual part of it. Um, something that we were doing way before the pandemic. We were doing a lot of online open mics and things of that nature. Um, so we think it's time to bring that back. So, um being that it is Hispanic Heritage Month and Capicu is actually a game, can you tell us a little bit about the actual Capicu game? So Capicu is not a game. Capicu is the war cry, if you will, when you win the game. And you have to win the game in a very specific way in order to say Capicu. Okay. So Capicu is a game of dominoes. When you play dominoes in the, in the Caribbean format, right? When you play dominoes, um, it's a numbers game, right? You match up numbers to each other and you kind of work your 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 uh, your dominoes across the board. 
in order for you to say Capicul, it has to be locking the game. You have to lock the game where nobody else can go anymore. That's that's when you screen Capicul. In uh, in Haiti, for example, they say Decabez, right? So you basically take the chip, the 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 the, the domino, and you slam it on the table and you say Capicul. And that, then how you do it and the style that you do it and how loud you are, that that's all subjective, but that's that's the energy. Like, you know, you're literally slamming the diamond on the table. Um, if you ever watched any um, old movies from California, circa 70s, 80s, um, in the black community, they'll just say bones and they'll throw it on, you know, they, they, they call dominoes bones uh, in, in California. So yeah, there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different versions of it, but the Caribbean, the Puerto Rican, Dominican, Cuban way is, is Capicu, Capicu or Capicua, you may hear, hear some people say. Um, but that's what you do. You just basically scream and you slam the, the domino on the table and that's it, you lock the game and you find out who else uh, or how many points you have by basically how many chips are left on the, on the table. What has working with Sofrito for your soul and Capicu taught you from working with all these different types of people from all different walks of life? First of all, that that our community doesn't even have an idea of how beautiful and deep and wide we can go with our stories. Like, you know, as much work as we do and as many talented people as we encountered over the last couple of years, it's not even scraping the surface. You know, I, I know people who literally are writing masterpieces and they're just too shy to share. And, and what we try to do is be the safest space in the community to share. Because even though there's a lot of people that go to New Yorkian, the New Yorkian is a place where people, it's like the Apollo, right? It's like where people go to like, they really want to make it and they want to like take their career to the next level. We created a space that was safe enough for the average person to go up there and spit a poem. And that was a big accomplishment. And that was an accomplishment, honestly, that we that we happened on by accident. We didn't we didn't even know that wasn't even an intention, is to create that kind of space in, in a sense. We created a space that people can come together, but we didn't know that we were like literally developing poets. We were developing talent. We were developing DJs. You know, we were developing all different types of talent that was coming to the event to share their their expertise. Uh, to the point where at, at some point. Uh, I want to say like maybe seven, eight years ago, we started something called Asopa, which is the School of Poetic Arts. And that was our kind of our pipeline to take some of those people that performed at Capicu for the first time and bring them over so that they could actually start developing their craft and actually be uh, accomplish what they want to accomplish in the community. Well, we talked about how you pushed through you know, on a professional level and you've made a difference for so many people, but clearly we all go through our own things. Um, from that, from up until the point we talked about, what was life um, for the urban Hibaro when he wasn't out there? So uh, in 2010, in 2010, uh, I found myself uh, battling a fatal case of pneumonia. And I was um, as public and as, as active as I was in the community, I literally fell off the face of the earth. 
um, and and battled this this pneumonia for two months um, to the point where they told my family that I wouldn't make it. Um, and that was really hard for me. That was hard for me because the whole time I was gone, the community was really, really responsive. They were really in tune and they really, they reached out and they, and they made me feel loved. And I just never knew that that many people were watching me. And I think that was like a big catalyst for me in my career because I just didn't realize how deep um, what we were doing in Brooklyn and what I was doing on the website really touched people. Um, so that was like a big pivot, you know, and I think that once I came out of that, no matter how big the stuff I was doing before that was, everything that I did after 2010 was just bigger by default. Um, you know, I, I went on to develop, uh, to help develop production of values for a major, major Latino conference after founding before the 2010, I actually helped found a Latino organization that was the first of its kind. And then the second organization that I, I joined after 2010 was a uh, was a evolved version of that, um, and we went on to do amazing things. To this day, some of the stuff that we did was historical. Uh, myself and Papo both got nationally recognized as leaders in the community. Uh, we've received multiple uh, citations from the local government and some of our elected officials. Um, but at the end of the day, the only thing that really mattered was how the people responded to having a space in the community that they could actually voice their opinion. They could have conversations. They could voice their frustration. They could, you know, just love and be loved. And I think that's the biggest accomplishment of, of all of this, right? Um, and today it's like, you know, we've been inactive since the pandemic. I mean, we did a couple of virtual shows here and there and whatever, but people still are waiting for Capicu to reemerge and to come back. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what it's been. The conversation has been, especially this last year has been like really, really, uh, there's a lot of interest in, in having us come back and people are offering us space. But one of the biggest dilemmas that we have is that since we had a space for so long, the terms of how we use the space and how much access we have is based on on financials right and because of the pandemic a lot of businesses lost a lot of money and they're not willing to give space up as freely as they used to so that's something that we're battling right now so we're in the process of talking to a couple of organizations about possible funding nonprofit funding and grants and things of that nature and then also uh there's a possibility that we may be somewhere in the same neighborhood where we were before uh, with a whole new uh, situation. So we're hoping, we're hoping that it, uh, that it pops off soon. Hashtag bring Capicu back. Bring Capicu back. I hear you. I'm with you. So whatever happened to the Sofrito for your soul website? So the website, um, we were celebrating our 25th anniversary last year. And I branded a beautiful Puerto Rican Day Parade float, as we always do. But we had a special anniversary edition of the float this year uh, with Capicu. Um, and uh, during that time, uh, we, we had several hack attempts in the previous months. And I've kind of fended them all off. But uh, during our 25th anniversary, the website was completely taken down. And I had to quarantine the, the server uh, in order for it not to spread malicious code but I still wanted to kind of rescue the archives. So I quarantined it, meaning I took it completely offline. So there's a local version of it existing on a computer that's right here on my floor uh, behind my desk. Um, and uh, what I've been doing is I've been extracting 
the text only versions of some of the, the best content and I'm trying to clean it up so I could actually repost it on a new website uh, that's called Daily Sofrito. So Daily Sofrito is the reimagination of what the original website was. Um, it's a little bit more brief and and like, like the other website was really long form and there was a lot of heavy content because it was a blog when blogs were popular. Uh, but today, since everybody has like micro attention spans, we've condensed some of the content and uh, we just relaunched it like two weeks ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have we have a, a music person. We have Ruby who's doing music, uh, Ruby Chavez. Uh, we have some financial folks coming on to be able to do financial literacy. Um, all the artwork is AI generated for the most part, unless it's original artwork from artists themselves. Um, so, yeah, we do the thumbnails and everything on the website using AI. Um, and uh, I'll be putting out some business curriculum for small businesses, some free, uh, some free game for some small businesses that are looking to really extend their brands and be competitive in the marketplace. Um, so it's a, it's a new, different version of the website. We're still looking for contributors. So if anybody out here is a poet, writer, chef, anything, short stories, whatever you want, just send it our way. As long as it's family friendly, we're good to go. We just don't do the politics stuff. I don't blame you. Um, shit, I lost my train of thought for a minute. My apologies. Um, before we get into all your work with um, marketing, because I've seen your page on Talento Unlimited, I've been looking at what you've been doing now um, with the Siembra Academy, but I would be remiss to not bring up also your work bridging latino professionals together with hispanicized yeah um you were heavily involved in that you were in charge of the new york i guess you want to call it a sector division um what was that like so no so new york was just uh there was like there was an experiment in new york but i i basically produced for the main conference uh in miami um, Hispanicized was the South by Southwest, if you will, for Latinos. Um, had a great 12-year run. I think I was there for 10 out of the 12. Uh, the company eventually got sold to NGL Collective, which is a company that's partly owned by John Leguizamo. And they have recently just merged with Me Too. So they're part of the Me Too network now. Um, that was a great ride. That was literally um, one of the... Uh, another one of the big highlights in my career because I got a chance to produce million dollar projects, you know, for brands. Uh, I got a chance to use that, that grassroots stuff that I learned from the streets, from Capicu, from ha having Sofrito so many years. And I was able to bring a lot of people who are literally like people who followed me in terms of like content creation and creating their platforms for their particular niche. Uh, and I got a chance to help them not only perfect their craft. I got a chance to help them get funding in some cases or even connect with brands so that they can get brand deals. So that work has continued uh, as a result of the of the sale of Hispanicize. Obviously, I'm no longer uh, involved in Hispanicize as a company. Um, but my former business partner from Hispanicize, one of the founders, Christy Clavijo, uh, became my manager after the Hispanicize uh, deal went through. And uh, shortly after that, we ended up with a big contract to help health and hospitals with the COVID campaign, where I once again battled for my life uh, under similar circumstances that I did in 2010. And uh, 
when it happened, it was crazy because I signed a contract to be the spokesperson for the COVID campaign in New York. And, um, and I ended up getting sick the day I signed the contract. So what ends up happening is I tell my, I tell the client, Hey, listen, I'm literally in the program that you want me to do the commercial for. And I'm battling for my own life. We ended up having a conversation about what the campaign would look like. And obviously me thinking, okay, I'm not going to even make it out of this. Like, you know, everybody was dying at the time, uh, during this, this period of COVID, this was like October of 2020. And, uh, Basically, we convinced the client to invest a couple of more dollars and actually me reach out to some people that I know uh, within the media community and, and social media and, and arts and entertainment. And what we did was we ended up uh, creating a bigger campaign and I helped run that from my hospital bed. But I tapped my my manager, Christy, to help with the logistics of it, right? Because I'm in the hospital and I'm not able to fully do everything that I need to do to make this happen. Yeah. So what ends up happening is we have a completely successful campaign. It featured people like Fat Joe, Luis Guzman, Casper Martinez, uh, Nancy Ruffin, uh, who else? Um, uh, Leora Luciano, um, Led Black from Uptown Collective. I mean, so many names, right? And they all helped out with the campaign. We ended up winning a Tele Award for it. And as a result of that, it started a conversation between me and my manager about becoming partners. Uh, so shortly after the campaign closed and I obviously survived, uh, we ended up becoming partners uh, in a company that she founded with her best friend, Michelle, uh, called Talento Unlimited. So I kind of went from being talent on the roster to being uh, one of the managing partners. Being part of Talento Unlimited, how do you feel being able to shape now after doing the most innovative things for your brand making differences between cities, countries, because um, you are also a flight attendant, so you probably did some things all around the world too, but you just haven't brought them up. Um, now you're sitting here and you're helping the future of talent, the future of entertainment yeah. at, at a time where everything is also at a standstill with the sag after strikes and everything that's going on in the industry. How did it feel to get to mold all of them? You know, it, it's, uh, and, and I can't take credit for molding them. That That's a, that's a strong, that's a big responsibility. Um, but what our agency does do is um, we create opportunities for content creators to monetize, to, to expand the reach of their brand, um, to have somebody in their corner to make sure that their rights are looked after. A lot of the stuff that you see with the strike going on right now with the, with the writer strike, right? Um, you know, the truth of the matter is some brands don't want to pay a lot of money. Uh, and when they think that you're a social media celebrity as opposed to a real celebrity that has some other type of uh, platform, um, they, they try to undercut and they try to, uh, to take advantage of, uh, of certain uh, aspects of the business, like digital assignment of rights and, and uh, syndication of some of the content. You know, some people want like absolute rights forever. Uh, for a campaign that they're paying, you know, very little for. Uh, so we get a chance to really kind of push the envelope with that. And we also have, we have been very successful at actually elevating women creators, you know, and women of color specifically. Um, so that that's something that, that you know, I know Christy and Michelle take a lot of pride in. And when I joined the team, that's something that, you know, I hope to build on even further. You know, um, it's been it's been a great experience working with them. 
it's not like we're strangers. I worked with Christy for 12 years before that um, with her actually helping me every step of the way in my career. Um, so, you know, it was a natural, it was a natural progression and I just feel very happy to be part of it uh, in, the, in the sense of being able to share some of my unique experiences in the business and being able to leverage that for better, uh, better outcomes for other creators. On a personal level, how do you, to every business thing I've seen you do, and the same thing goes for Chrissy, right? Because Chrissy taught me how to make my first brochures, like as far as like holiday guides and how to do it before Illustrator, well, before I even knew what the hell Illustrator was. Um, how did you guys always stay disgustingly optimistic through everything? Like you never frowned. You never seem stressed to me. How the hell do you do that? You know, it's gratitude, right? At the end of the day, it's gratitude. I I find myself in a very, very unique position to be able to do things the way I want, how I want. As an entrepreneur, I've had multiple businesses. I still own multiple businesses. I, I'm so grateful that I get to do what I want to do. And even when things are bad, they're better than they were. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a community that was very disenfranchised. I dropped out of high school um, and then again, dropped out of college once I got into college. Um, but I still became successful and I became successful because I created things that I didn't have access to. When I wanted to be a radio personality, when I decided that radio and podcasting was the thing I wanted to do, I didn't have a background in, in audio engineering. I didn't have a background in broadcasting. So I created my own show. And it was the first Latino show on Block Talk Radio. And I did that because I was like, well, I could learn the technical stuff. And if I'm my own boss, then I'm the only person I need to please. And I just I just created it. You know, we created an open mic, we created our radio show, we created a school for poetic arts. Like we just keep creating, we keep creating the things that we're missing and that maybe other more reputable organizations won't give us access to. So we create our own thing. And as long as I'm able to do that, and as long as I'm able to have the drive to do that, and as long as I'm able to have the resources and the supporters to like ride along with me, there's nothing to frown about this. I'm just happy. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to do what I do and love it. And uh, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. So you did mention, you know, while you're loving everything you do, you did go through your health issues. And you did also, because long nine years ago when I first met you, you didn't have the skinny, you, you lost a lot of weight. You look healthier. Um, yeah. How important I, was self-care with your journey? Um so far literally it was it was it was probably the most important thing the only reason why i'm here today is because that first health scare in 2010 made me make some really serious life choices uh to change uh how i was living and and if it hadn't been for those changes i probably wouldn't have made it through COVID. honestly excuse me um i was almost 385 pounds at my biggest um, today I'm standing here at about two, two thirty-five, roughly, and I'm still over, overweight. And my my according to my doctor and uh, 
and the people who create the standards of, of life, I guess. Uh, according to them, I'm morbidly obese still at 235. Um, so, you know, it continues to be a process. I, I approached it differently than most people. I didn't, I didn't do surgery. I wanted to do it naturally. I did it naturally, but I didn't do it to lose weight. I did it so I could have stamina. I did it so I could be healthier, so I could be more comfortable in my own skin. And I accomplished that. So even at 235, even though my doctor tells me I'm still morbidly obese, I feel good about myself. I'm able to run. I'm able to walk. I'm able to jet ski, parasail, ride a bike. You know, I'm able to do all the things that I did at 25, and I'm still 25, right? You're still 25. What you mean? Exactly. So, so you know, so I just I I, I approach life in a way where like my gratitude guides me and my drive keeps me young. I just want to keep doing things, and I just don't have a concept of what my age is. I don't have a concept of what my perfect weight is. I just want to be comfortable. I just want to be happy. And as long as I'm happy, then I'm good. Well, you, it got me really curious, right? Because you did tell me a few things that, and that was just within talking the last couple of days that helped me with this show, right? Um, you started putting a Instagram broadcast out, uh, which helps creatives work through their podcasts and small businesses. You also have the Siembra Academy where you talk about a about marketing for sure. Um, but you also have a framework that you talk about, the triple A framework. Yes. Um, t- can you go and tell us about a little bit about what you are trying to help with and what is this framework? So this is like a step before Talento, but after my career, I wanted to teach people about how to monetize and how to navigate the media landscape as a business, right? Yeah. So during the pandemic, when everybody was losing their job and people were calling me, asking me if I knew of any positions open, if I if I needed yeah, remote workers. I did ask. I did ask indeed. Yes, you did. Um, I, uh, I created a cohort. I created a Facebook group called the Siembra, oh, Siembra Initiative. It wasn't even like Siembra Academy, it was Siembra Initiative. And eventually, over the course of a year, I ended up with 240 students in there that I gave a 100% free training to. I helped them build their brands. I helped them with website resources. I helped them with language. I helped them with sales techniques. I helped them on how to negotiate deals and brand deals for their for their uh, for their podcasts, for example. I basically shared everything I've ever learned in a space. Whatever I didn't learn, what I did, whatever I didn't know, I would find friends to come in and do guest speaking opportunities so that they could help my group out with their their stuff. I, I paused the Facebook group uh, after two years and 241 at the final count of, of folks were in the group. And uh, I decided to reinvent Samba Academy into something different. Uh, still working on it because obviously the pandemic still has some uh, ripples uh in in the landscape right so I'm, I'm figuring it out but what i have been doing is i've i've spoken at a lot of universities i've done a lot of virtual class visits i've, I've taught at columbia university uh in terms of like their professional staff at teachers college not bad for a two-time dropout right um and we continue to just create curriculum and i've done it in a very disorganized way and i'm kind of like trying to funnel it into one thing 
So an attempt on that was to create a broadcast channel on my Instagram where I could just grab a couple of people similar to what I did on Facebook, but just kind of give them a little bit of motivation every day. Just tell them, you know, just kind of get their, their, their spirits up and then be able to stop procrastinating and just go after it, right. To go after the thing that they want to do the most. Um, so that's what we're, we're like literally a week or maybe not even a weekend. Uh, we have about 87 members already. So that happened pretty quickly. Yay! Um, and, uh, and to, and what we're doing is we're going over the framework. The framework is called audit align and amplify. And basically it's like, literally the three steps that you have to do and then just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So audit is obviously you finding out what your resources are and how they could help you get to your objective. Aligning is making sure that everything matches and everything, everything that you have online actually serves a purpose and it goes to a particular location that's going to obviously generate revenue, abundance, or support for your cause. Uh, and then uh, Amplify is just how you're going to grow after that. So those are the three main uh, pillars, if you will, of my teaching method. Um, and it's a course that I've, I've taught many times over the last two or three years. Uh, and now I'm, I'm making it available for free to get people interested in actually using the framework to get to a certain point so then we can take them to the next level. What is a common mistake that podcasters, creatives, small businesses make when making the framework of their brand? Focusing on the wrong things, focusing on things like numbers, focusing on vanity metrics, um, things that just don't matter. You know, um, there, there's a, there's a saying out there in the marketing world that if you have a hundred real fans, you'll never go broke, right? Those hundred people, they actually support you. They actually pull out their wallets and support you. You never go broke. Um, it may not be a hundred today because with inflation and whatnot, it may be more like a thousand. Yeah. But there's so many people that are focused on having followers and they want to get their numbers and they want to get to 10,000 followers on Instagram so they can have a swipe up feature. All these really crazy, ridiculous things that people actually focus on. And the truth of the matter is that some of those folks have 100 or 200 people that follow them hardcore and they don't even speak to them because they're always chasing after the numbers. They're chasing after what it could be, right? It's 250. I want it to be 300. If it's 300, I want it to be 1,000. If it's 1,000, I want it to be 10,000. So they, they neglect the people that are actually there and it hurts their brand. It hurts their brand at the end of the day. Um, I, there's no other way for me to say it. Um, you could see it when people jump on live, right? They jump on live. What's the first thing that comes out of their mouth? Instead of thanking the people that showed up, instead of actually having the conversation that they came to have, what are they saying? They're saying, let's just wait a couple of more minutes for more people to arrive. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but fuck those people. Go for it. Don't worry. They're not there. They didn't show up on time. Talk to the people that showed up on time. If there are other people come in, and if you need to go back and recap something, then recap it. But... That's one of my biggest pet peeves is that people focus on the people who haven't showed up instead of the people who have. Me, like, I'm glad I don't do it live anymore because I used to do Rosalind Live when I was, like, at DTS um, and working with them because it was a radio station and it was just like, okay, you might as well be live. Um, when 
I had my old co-host and his schedule conflicted. Turning to pre-record kind of just made it better because if anything, I can interact with my fans while the post is up. That way I'm not sitting here like a dumbass trying to have the conversation. Manage the social media. Manage a photographer if I have like an in-guest. And it's a lot, especially if you're running it on your own. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. That's why a big pillar of the Siembra Academy is AI, right? We talked about it earlier in the in the broadcast. AI for me is big because AI allows people like you that have a very small team that are trying to multitask, that are trying to do cover different aspects of the business, and it just gives them a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more breathing room. One of the things about Siembra Academy is I'm really big on mental health. I'm really big on entrepreneurs having healthy like mental hygiene, like for them to be able to tackle the things that they really need to tackle to be successful in the media business. Yes. So it's important for me to actually really have that conversation repeatedly. Like mental health is important. Mental health is important. But how do you get mental health? It's getting time back in your plate. Like you're having more time to do the things that you love that are not related to your business, to do the things that you need to do for your business. You need time. And I think AI, if it's, if it's done right, and if it's done to, to 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 deal with some of those repetitive tasks that you have to do on a regular basis, then I think it's a good thing. You know, are there concerns? Are there ethical concerns? Yeah, absolutely. Are people going to use it for evil? Absolutely. It's going to happen. There's no, you know, I can give you a hammer. You can either build a house or you could crack somebody over the head. Like it's your choice. Um, but the way that we teach AI within the Siembra Academy is for people to actually be able to enhance their personal living situation by taking some of the stuff off their plate. And that's that's how I position it. And the truth of the matter is everybody that says, oh, you know, the AI is they're gonna take our jobs or whatever. Not at all. Not at all. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think that people who do it really well are gonna be very well employed and well compensated. And the people who don't, well, it's that simple. You know, there, there's a lot of things in the world that people, you know, electricity. Electricity disrupted the candle market. Up until the electricity existed, everybody used candles. And everybody said electricity is going to disrupt, it's going to destroy. Electricity has created more jobs in history than anything else. Everything around you is electronic in some way, shape, or form. And it requires some form of electricity, some form of power, right? Yeah. Are there more jobs because of it? Absolutely. Yeah. There's people who create the products. There are people who have to fix the products. There are people who have to sell and market the products. And there's people who profit from selling it. Like it's created, you know, it's been revolutionary. And I said, AI is going to be similar. You know, like I said, are there ethics? Are there things that we have to watch for? Are there privacy things that we need to look out for? Do we need to look out for the artists that are being ripped off from AI? Absolutely. But it's not going to stop just because we don't like it like nobody's going to really sit there and say okay well i'm not going to do it the people who don't do it are not going to progress it's that simple so i have two more questions for you um yeah i know because i went over my time that i said in that breakdown so my bad um if you need to edit edit you know it's all good but um for i asked this when i did a segment during the puerto rican festival uh not the festival the parade in june right i asked everyone what was your favorite thing about puerto rican culture 
what is your favorite thing about Puerto Rican culture? I just love that we exist despite the fact that the world hasn't been kind to us in so many different ways. Um, you know, the, the political situation in Puerto Rico is strong and, and it's, it's, it's remnants from a colonial era that's outdated, that nobody else in the world recognizes anymore. anymore. And uh, they continuously uh, do everything that they can to evict us from the island so that they can have their crypto paradise and their surfing havens and all the things, but they, they don't realize that they're displacing the people who made it what it is. Um, so I love Puerto Rico because we're, we're survivors and we're going to continue to adapt and we figured out ways to continuously keep our culture alive despite the fact that we have so many opponents uh, to it. Um, my people are dope. It's that simple. My people are dope. We continuously make waves around the world. Right now, there's a kid. I, I, I really want to plug this kid. His name is Jacob. He's okay. literally the only Puerto Rican figure skater that I know of. He's a kid. He's a teenager. And he's in Budapest today, right now. He just literally just skated and ranked top five. And this kid is about to be an Olympian. And it's happening in real time right now. He's, he's a Puerto Rican kid. He's supported by some of the biggest skaters in the industry that are literally donating to his, to his team to make sure that this kid continuously gets to all these countries to be able to compete. That's dope. That's, That's dope. This kid is not even like 15 years old. And he's already traveled 23, 25 countries across the world competing. Like... That's the kind of stuff my people do. That's why we dope. Yeah, super dope. You're honorary Puerto Rican. You're down with us. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Y'all got the best food. Facts. I, I can't <laughs> help it. And the, and the better music. And now they finally integrated like in media. Like, I really feel like it was like Cardi that really start, started and J Balvin. J Balvin did that remix with Beyonce and then ever since then you got the Cardis coming in with the Bad Bunnies and doing all their thing in the United States. Nah, I'll be honest with you. Puerto Ricans have been doing that for decades. A Gran Combo, we had Menudo, the biggest boy band of all time was Puerto Rican. Ricky Martin, the biggest soloist that come from a, from a, from a boy band of all times. We had Edie Chacon was J-Lo 20 years, 30 years before J-Lo was a thing. You got like this is cyclical. We've always been that. Rita Moreno, Egot. You get what I'm saying? Like, like we've we've been doing this. We've been doing this. The thing is that now the stories are being told. Now we're getting amplified. We were in that stage as audit align. So yeah. the last 20, 30 years, we've been aligning. Now we're amplifying. And that's the difference right now. That's the difference. That's the reason why. There is a bad bunny. There's a bad bunny now because there was a Menudo, because there was a Ricky Martin, because there was a Fat Joe, because there was a Jennifer Lopez. That's why. You know, I'm just very blessed to see it happen. Um, I always like worked in the clubs. Like most of my career, like was spent. Like yeah, I work with hip hop artists now, and I work like take pictures and everything, but. My career, just even learning music in general, started working in the clubs and listening to all the Latino music, you know, working with Angelique and doing the Latin Trends events with Gilberto Santa Rosa. And you become, 
so familiarized. And then on top of that, when I was a history major in college, I just loved learning about the Latino culture. It's something that just never got enough credit for their beauty, just for their countries in general. Um, Shout out to Angelique. I got to tell a story about her real quick. I know I know way over time. It's perfectly fine. Angelique was the first website to come and give me access to a news feed, a script that would live on my page. It would it'd be it was a company she was working for at the time, which was owned by the original owner of Hispanicized. So this is how far back we're going. We went back we're to talking 20- about Manny. We're talking about Manny. Okay. The owner of Hispanicized used to own a company called the uh, uh, Latin Newswire or something. Latino, yeah. Latino Newswire, whatever it was. He sold that company yeah. to create Hispanicized. But Angelique worked for him. She was the first one to give me an official news feed on my site, and she also helped facilitate our first brand deal at Radio Capicool uh, with a company called VTech that had a Wi-Fi radio specifically that, that would be able to air live podcasts from Live 365. So it was dope. It was a, she's dope. She's dope. She's such an amazing soul, and I would never... Like, she gave me her first PR textbook, and I still have it, like... Preserved because yeah. I don't want to ruin it. That's dope. Yeah, she's she's good people. I have to reach out to her because I gotta tell her that I still she, love her. She she's living her best life in Puerto Rico, looking like a model. Of now course. she looks twenty five. She does. Yes, absolutely. My last question, and it'll probably just tie everything together. We talked about culture. We talked about where you come from. Um. I've come to see, like, the way you're rooted in your culture, I'm rooted like that in Greek culture. I very much cherish my culture, even though I'm not out there like rah-rah, you know, because it's not enough really much of a market for a Greek girl to go rah-rah in New York City. A spade is a spade. I mean, I'm sure there is, but okay. The story is, like, very small. I go rah-rah down the block, and that's the only other (laughs) radio station, like, I, I like doing my rah-rah with the hip-hop community and everything else. It's fun. Okay. It's music. So, um, but I've come to notice that the older generations, they're not enrooted in their culture. Um, this is a two-part question. How can we get them enrooted into the culture? And what is the importance of knowing where you come from? They they both tie in they both tie in together, right? Um, yeah. Knowing where you come from gives you a sense of pride. It gives you uh, an opportunity to look back and see progress uh, more than anything. And I think that that's really big for people who have historically been disenfranchised. Is for us to see that we're getting somewhere. Um, as far as the people, uh, I'm not sure if you wanted to know about younger people or older people. Older people, I think, are very deeply rooted in their culture. I think the younger people are experimenting, right? Um, the, the truth of the matter is that we have conversations today about being black, Latino, et cetera. Those conversations aren't gonna be relevant in 50 years because everybody's mixing, everybody's multicultural. So we're in a place right now, like again, again we're, we're in that, that space of a pivot. We're shifting and we're shifting from becoming people who are very niche in terms of their culture I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Caribbean, I'm black, I'm Asian, to being people who just are going to be able to select the parts of culture, of world culture that they identify with and be able to just 
promote that. So so this conversation is very limited. You know, if you if you talk to me 20 years, 30 years from now, the things that I'm talking about today won't even make sense to a lot of people, honestly. Just like some of the things I talked to you about today doesn't make sense to a lot of you because you people are much younger uh, and you weren't around in the 80s. So it's it's a progress, it's a progression. Um, so yeah, again, it, uh, the ability to look back and be able to see progress is probably the biggest thing, uh, the biggest gift that we can get from this moment. So I feel like this interview is gonna need a part two. It might, it might. Cause but don't have it too long. Like I said, don't wait too long because, like I said, the world is changing. I, I got some of this stuff might not be relevant, you know, in in ten years, twenty years. I mean, listen, we're not gonna wait ten years. Hopefully not before we speak to each other and see each other again. Absolutely not. You're gonna come to Papi soon. I'm not gonna happen. I definitely will. I'll be the first one there. But um, what is next? For you and where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at dailysofrito.com. That's the, the new website. I'm like I said, slowly but surely getting more content up on the page and, and disinfecting some of the old content for people to have historical context. Because it feels weird to talk about being part of the first Latino website and then looking and seeing only two weeks worth of uh, archives. So, you know, I have to do my best to get some of the historical stuff up. Uh, at Urban Hibaro on all platforms, uh, for the most part, Instagram uh, and Twitter were my well. Twitter was my favorite, but Twitter's you know, so th Instagram and Threads are, are where you can find me the most active right now. Uh, and again, if you're interested in uh, in any of the channels that I have on my Instagram account, the Love and Sofrito one is specifically for the blog, and the Siembra Academy is the one for small businesses looking to amplify their brands. I'm in it. I'm in it. Yep. I got something dropping tomorrow. Really nice for you guys. Yay. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. For, uh... Thank you for being here with me. Um, this Thank you, Rosalind family. It's been an amazing episode. We hope you enjoyed the mix that you heard before this. Um, as usual, you can tune in Mondays, www.rosalindnyc.com. Tuesdays on Elgin Sound Radio on the Live 365 app and on our website. Yeah, that over there. Sorry, too many. Jesus Christ. Um, Wednesdays, you can catch us on Puso 82.3 FM in Ohio, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, of course, Sundays on Platinum Radio Online via the Live 365 app and www.platinumradioonline.com. Catch us talking smack on SmackDown with myself and TJ, the great one. Um, from myself and the urban Hibaro himself, we would bid y'all a good night, a good fight, and sleep tight.